Hello and welcome to Messiah's Upper Room Podcast. Each week, you'll join the Messiah Upper Room Bible Study class led by Pastor Jim Adi. Pastor Adi is out on vacation, but we are blessed to have guest speaker Gina Lerman guide us in today's Bible study session as we continue our Living the Life of the Beloved and the Belonged series this week. Enjoy. Okay, let's get started. Last week, we talked about uh, that devotion to God can relieve anxious worry and devotion to mammon or material wealth exacerbates it. I think all of us probably agree that those people that their main focus is material wealth, do they ever get to a point of feeling like they've accomplished it and they're done and they don't need any more? Do you think? Do you think they ever get to a point where they don't need more? The day they die. Uh, the day they die, maybe, <laughs> when they can't take it with them. So, so I think that's why it, it just exacerbates. It doesn't ever seem to be something that you can ever truly accomplish because you're always wanting more. You may make millions, but then you need more millions, and you want more, and you want more. So that creates more of a problem than it does what they think it will do. Uh, B talks about clinical depression and anxiety is not a sin, that it's a chemical imbalance. But it also, it also says below that, that it can erode your confidence in God's promises, but it doesn't negate his promises. It, it creates sometimes doubt in people, anxiety, depression, but it doesn't change his love and his devotion to us or to them. They just need kind of help getting through some dark times. And sometimes that can be something that we can help with. And the way that we treat them, the way that we act towards them, the way that we, the love that we show them. So it's just something to kind of keep in mind. Yes. Phil. <laughs> Phil. So, somebody said that Phil messed with our, our machine over there. So that's why it's not working very well. So I'll. Uh, so I'll try to talk really loud. Y'all may have to get to a point where I go, okay, could you turn your personal volume down and not talk so loud? <laughs> well, let's go into, does anybody have anything they want to add on last week's before we go into this week's study? Anyone? Anyone? Well, let's look at Matthew 7, 1 through 6, and we're just kind of go, go through it in sections. At the very beginning, right there at the beginning, it says, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it'll be used on you. Uh, let's talk about this a lot, because I know judgment is one of our favorite topics to discuss and to be involved in. So let's talk about this. Uh, it talks about, in A, it says judge. I'm not quite sure how to pronounce that word right behind it. Kraniti. And it talks about, it says that it's a sharp, unjust or unfair criticizing of someone else. Okay, when you read it, talks about that kind of definition there. Do you see anything good in that statement? Where it says sharp, unjust, or unfair criticizing of someone else. Do you see anything positive in that statement? Anything really good in that? Don't see anything really encouraging in that one. And it talks... Yeah, I have. I would say actually the thing that strikes me is that the the word sharp is mm -hmm. to me is really critical mm -hmm. because so many of us speak in ways that are sharp mm -hmm. and we don't realize it. 
So we're walking around cutting people up, and we don't even think we're doing anything wrong. Right. Uh, so I, I think it's a caution to me. That's right. the positive. Yeah. I mean, it's a good thing to take something positive out of that is okay, because we know that it's, we don't, none of us don't ever do it. We all get into points where we do some judging. I think that's why we're having this study and God's pointing it out in scripture because he knows we're going to do it. But he also references behind that look and be, it says the measure when he talks about and with the measure that you use, that we use, it's kind of referencing a weight or use that merchants used to weigh or sell things that they'd measure things kind of like a scale or something like that. They'd use that for measurement. And it says dishonest merchants often used like a hollowed out weight. When they'd put it on the scales, they'd use something that was hollowed out. So it looked really heavy, but it really wasn't. So they were kind of tinkering with the scales. And why would they do that? Why would they use something hollowed out? Why were they trying to mismeasure? Why do you think they'd do that? To get more money. And if they were using that measurement in comparison with them with themselves, why would they want to mismeasure? Why do you think? Because they'd look, because we ourselves look better. Well, no, I don't really want you to see that maybe if I use my true measures, it might, it might bang more my weight down and be heavier on my side. So I, you know, don't want to necessarily truly measure that. It talks about, so below, look at that beloved life principle number four. It says the harshness versus fairness you use on others will be rendered to you what goes around. Comes around. Yeah, I didn't think I'd need to tell you all the answer to that one. <laughs> I think we all knew that one because how many times have we heard that? How many times have we said that? Is it ever fun to be on the receiving end when it's coming around? Is it? Does anybody really want that to happen? Does anybody really want it to come around? Well, I think what God, it, when, he, when we reference that, what goes around comes around, what he, he's trying to say is, you know, if you're going to dish it, then it comes back. And is that not only fair? At the risk of sounding sharp, this, this verse is used so often by someone who says we can't, we can't say anything about sin or, you know, anything like that. But they forget that this says judge, which means unjust, unfair, as opposed to discernment, which is recognizing not everything. It doesn't mean we have to agree or uh, celebrate everything. Mm -hmm. Well, and and all the things that I've studied and that I've read, it also says that this particular scripture is the one that people use a lot when pointing out at Christians. Well, you're such a hypocrite. You like to judge. You like to do this. You like to do that. Well, God's saying, I mean, what does he say as far as love the sin? There you go. Swap it for me. It's not love. It's not love the sin and hate. The, yeah, swap that for me. That he's saying we we love the sinner, we hate the sin. So he's saying it's not so much wrong that we're judging. We're you have to be discerning, and determine what is the important thing. So I mean, he's saying you know just be discerning of that person if they need if they have need. 
of our help if they need us to, if we need to focus on something else. Uh-huh. And I, excuse me, one night in, in Romans, it talks about the same thing, and it says, you who pass judgment, or in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself. Mm-hmm. In other words, too many people judge others trying to cover up their own problems. Mm-hmm. And that, that goes mm-hmm. back, it goes to the next verse, which is the, the uh, splinter in the other person's eye and the beam in your own eye. Mm-hmm. You want to cover up the beam so you put all the attention on the splinter and maybe you can get away with it. Yeah. And one of the things that God's saying, a lot of times when we spend time judging somebody else, we're getting into a form of self-righteousness. When we get into that form of self-righteousness, what we're doing is we're kind of trying to elevate ourselves and make ourselves seem more important than the other person. Well, isn't that a sin? Aren't we being sinful by doing that? When we elevate ourselves or we claim self-righteousness or that we're so much better than that other person? That's called pride. Yeah, that's called pride. And a lot of times is that good or is that destructive? It can be be destructive. Not to just, I mean, to other people and to ourselves, but that's kind of what he's trying to say is don't necessarily put yourself above the other person because we're not, we're not perfect. I think that's part of our natural sinful nature is to love gossip (laughs) and to know that they judge other people mm-hmm. that that it just comes so naturally mm-hmm. you find very very few people that can escape it that's true i mean it, it's just of our nature to do that but a lot of times i think what he's trying to say is what's our intent behind judging other people Wh- who are we wanting to focus on and away from yeah, we're wanting to focus on them. Oh, look, look, wait, look at them. No, no, look at all the problems they have. No, don't, uh, no, don't look at mine. Don't look at mine. Look at theirs. So, because I don't have any. I don't have any problems. Well, how true is that? Raise your hand in the room if you have zero problems whatsoever. Hmm, I don't see any hands go up. <laughs> Anything on that before we move to the specks and the planks? Look at the next. It says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own? He says, you hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck in your brother's eye. Isn't it surprising how we can see so easily around the big plank in our eye and can spot that little speck in somebody else's? You'd think that we wouldn't be able to see around the plank because it's a plank, but we do. One of the things I read too in this, it says, you know, most of the time the speck and the plank come from the same wood. When I read that, I was like, oh, I hadn't thought of that. And pretty much what they're saying is a lot of times the way we spot that speck so quickly in somebody else is because it's the same wood. We're seeing the same thing wrong in them that we see in ourselves, but we don't want anybody to see it in us. So we're going to point it out in them. So I thought that was interesting when they said a lot of times it comes from the same wood. Ouch. That kind of hurts hearing that. Uh, When it talks about a, it says splinter or speck, the beam upon which planks of a house rest. And then it says, first take the plank in order to help 
The other person with a life struggle or irritant, bad habit, false belief, some kind of failing, you have to begin with yourself. Doesn't it feel good to help other people? Has anybody really, I mean, I know there, has anybody regretted it? Feel free to say something. <laughs> it's okay if you could say it. Well, I mean, sometimes you, you can help people. Maybe they're not receptive to help. Have you had that happen before? Can anybody think of an example or something that they want to share? Help me out. Come on. Yes, um, I helped out uh, a gentleman that needed to arrive at church. I was happy to do it. And, uh, but then, and then he needed help getting groceries, too. And I was happy to do that. Mm -hmm. Then it became even more. And, and he actually became a real demanding. Mm -hmm. And it got to be a real toxic kind of relationship. Mm -hmm. So in that case, uh, I had to just say, But that's, do you think that's a bad thing? Did y'all hear that? <laughs> Here, wait, take my headset. No. <laughs> what she was saying is she helped a person who needed, you know, like a ride to church and then maybe needed some help getting some groceries and she was happy to do it, happy to help, did it. And then it became kind of over and over and needed, expected over and over and over and maybe I was fine with over and over, but when it got demanding and almost, almost like a, a physical kind of uncomfortable. Hello. Oh, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny how uncomfortable came out so loud. <laughs> Is that it became a, a, a difficult situation where the person became rather demanding and expectant of it happening and uncomfortable in just the situation. Is that a bad thing to, to put an end to that? No, it's not. Even God tells you that. If you get into a situation that's uncomfortable, who do we turn it over to? Yeah, you turn it over to him. I mean, you have made your impact in whichever way you wanted to or whichever way God was going to use it. He showed you being helpful, being considerate, things like that. So you, you made your impact. And sometimes you have to turn it loose and let God take the rest of it, which he will. He's happy to. He just wants us to ask for it. So look at, it says, Beloved Life Principle number 41. It says, Your own bias or biases can blind you to what you need to repent of in your own life. When I was reading through this, I almost changed, I kind of almost gave it two answers. Instead of of or keep of, I flip-flopped the O and the F and put an R at the end. So that changes it. That changed it to your own bias or biases can blind you to what you need to repent for in your own life. Because that to me, I mean, of is good. They're both prepositions. Of kind of makes you recognize it, that you need to recognize it. And understand that you have some of your own issues or own biases that you need to deal with. But I liked also adding it to four because then four to me makes it feel like more of an action statement. Okay, I'm recognizing it. But four is telling me I don't need to just recognize it. I need to do something about it. I need to take some action on it. 
So that kind of, I kind of looked at both of those. So, uh-huh. Richard's got a hand up. Yeah. <laughs> I, actually, I'm thinking about, we live in a culture that loves to criticize and it doesn't make any difference what the subject is. The thing about it is, it really is kind of right in line with this principle is, if you're tired of criticism, your action is to go around complimenting people. That's the action, which is mm -hmm. just what you're saying. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you start making a practice of going around and complimenting people, that, that's kind of radical. And maybe you won't be so critical yourself. And the people that are critical of you might pick up on that and stop criticizing you and start complimenting you. I mean, we all have faults. Many of us are probably well aware of our faults without them being pointed out. But how many of us are really aware of our strengths? That's a good point as far as, you know, compliment somebody. Okay, I'm going to give everybody a homework assignment. This week, just try randomly to people you know, people you don't know, maybe you're walking through the grocery store or whatever, try to give five compliments to anybody in one day and just see what it does, how it makes you feel, how it makes the other person feel. Because we, I mean, we all know that we don't know what the other person is going through. Could be a good day for them, could be a bad day for them. And just your one compliment could just really make them have just, even if it's just one small bright moment in their day. I mean, when you open the door for somebody and, the, and a gentleman walks through and just say, good afternoon, sir. I hope you have a great afternoon. Uh, your, your, your smile brightened my day, even if he's frowning. <laughs> maybe who? <laughs> but maybe it'll make him smile. So try that. Five compliments in one day to anybody. I complimented a, a lady at the Dollar Tree on her shoes. And that woman talked and talked and talked. <laughs> I thought I was never going to get out of the Dollar Tree. Is that going to be one of those moments? She needed that. She needed that. She needed a, a physical communication with someone. And that opened the door. Well, it's one, it's one of those situations where you may be thinking, oh, boy, what did I do? But it also could, you, we don't know for that one person, maybe she has nobody that talks to her at all. And you're the only person that's maybe talked to her in days. And, and she feels like nobody even notices her, notices her. Maybe she feels like nobody even cares that I exist. And now you do, and I'm going to talk to you all afternoon. <laughs> I wanted to make a, a refer back to sometimes we need to help another person who has an irritating habit or, or something, some kind of failing, someone that's close to us, mm -hmm. and we really feel a need to help them. Uh, like say, I see you doing such and such, and I noticed it really irritated. Sometimes someone else. Sometimes. We have an obligation to point a failing out. And because I'm a very manipulative person, <laughs> I always started out, I love you too much to allow you to continue doing such and such. And that, that can defuse 
Yeah. Well, make it make it not a criticism, mm -hmm. but a I love you so much that I want you to know that I noticed this. Yeah. Well, it, it's kind of like Richard was saying when you notice something that you do that's an issue that you have if you're manipulative or whatever. Okay. Well. Twist it for the good. Find a way to kind of make it beneficial to somebody else that you're manipulative. <laughs> make a good thing come out of it. Let's see. It talks about, it says in D, it says you will, see, you will see clearly to remove the speck. To see clearly is to discern. That's what we were talking about a little while ago is to have some discernment correctly so that corrective action can be taken. And it says note that the goal of this whole thing is to help the other person. Colossians 3.16 says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. And it's kind of like Miriam was saying, in the body of Christ, we share a common responsibility for each other, to help each other. How might you walk the fine line of admonishing each other while at the same, same time not becoming the piety police? Somebody explained to me the piety police. Do you know what that is? Or being pious? Yeah, that's where we're kind of getting to the self-righteousness level. And we're kind of saying, well, you know, here's the issues with you. Let me help you with that because you, know, you're, you have so many more issues than I do. That, that comparison thing, that starts getting to the, into the self-righteous mode. Yes? interesting bring up topic of... Uh, talking to your adult children, they're going to say immediately if you say anything to them about changing something, that you're being judgy. <laughs> you know, and sometimes I, I feel like, okay, they're adults. It's time for me not to do that anymore. Mm -hmm. um, I brought them up the best I can, and from here on out, they're on their own. But then I'm going, okay, well, that's not right either. You know? Anybody have strong feelings about that? Did you hear that? When she's talking about kind of consulting your adult children and how you're trying to point out that maybe there's something that they could change, get a little better at, and guess what? You're being judgy. Well, of course, too, because none of you have ever gone through what your kids have gone through. Remember how they tell you that? Mm -hmm. How they think you have no sense when they're in their early teens because you just, you can't understand what they're going through. And then of course, once they get into their thirties and forties, they're like, mom, you're brilliant <laughs> because you do know what I was going through, but they feel like you're invading their space, that they're an adult. You don't need to tell them how to live their life or this or that because you're being judgy. Well, I think for a parent, a lot of times what the kids don't understand is you're not, you're being judgy because you love them and you want to help them and try to get them to maneuver better around the obstacles that you had to maneuver that they're headed towards. Do they ever avoid them? Well, maybe they don't, they probably don't, but maybe they won't trip as hard as we did. So. Yeah, unfortunately, um, sometimes we learn best through failure. And I know it's a, it's a zip my mouth moment when my daughter or my son are going through something because, yeah, I want to help them out and say, well, don't do that. It's not going to work out well. But I have learned that 
they learn best, unfortunately, through failure. And um, I just think that that's something that we be mind we need to be mindful of. And I guess that in our dealings, the the two verses that that I feel like are the best instruction for me in what I should say in those situations are. Uh, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, actually that's three verses, because it's also Colossians 3, 12, because it says you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. If what I'm about to say is outside that boundary, it's best not said. Hmm. That's a good point. I mean, I just wanted to, to tack on to the passage. I had a great conversation uh, with one of my family members not too long ago about this this very passage and, and he helped me see it in, in a little bit of different of a light where if you're calling yourself a Christian, if you're acknowledging that you're a Christian, you need to make sure that you are following the teachings of Christ and, and walking the path of Christ before you can even uh, advise another brother or sister in Christ. On, on whether they need to take corrective action in their life or criticize somebody else within the church on, on what path they needed to take. You need to make sure that you're walking your path correctly in, in alignment with Christ uh, before you can even talk to somebody like that or even somebody outside of the church. Yeah. Okay, so I'd like to make a counterpoint to that. <laughs> because the fact of the matter is that you will always, 100% of the time, 100% of the people will be vulnerable to a charge of hypocrisy, right? You are a sinner, I am a sinner. They're always going to be able to find something that you're doing that Christ told you not to do. And I, I think we have to be very careful not to turn all of this into a recipe for moral paralysis. Agreed. But the, the difference there, though, is that you're repentant of those actions, of those shortcomings. You acknowledge those shortcomings you have as a Christian, uh, but you turn away from those shortcomings, which is part of your repentance. Fair? Well, and a lot of times, that's part of the reason why we're here. That's, I, I'm, personally, I feel like I need to be in church because I need help. I need guidance. I know I do things wrong. I know sometimes I come across hypocritical, and I probably am being that way. But that's why I'm here. So I can get into Scripture. I can get into the Word. I can be around others and acknowledge it recognize that I've done it, try to come up with ways and learn ways to not do it as much, be better at it, and, and even tell somebody else, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm guilty, I was hypocritical, and it was wrong on my part, and I appreciate you pointing out to me, because I need to be better at it, I need to be a better person, so, and I can't promise you I won't do it again, because I'm a sinner, and it, it's bad, but... I want to try to not do it, so I need to recognize that I did it. Uh, try, try, if we're talking about adults, try being no words, just a Christ-centered example. Hmm? And if you're talking about children, you need to start early. <laughs> <laughs> Lay the groundwork, start early with the kids. Well, and I think, too, when we're talking about when, you're, when the kids see you as judgy, I mean, it may be a case of like, okay, most people will tell you that when they've gone through difficult times or they've made mistakes in their life, I mean, I've heard it on Christian talk radio and stuff that they'll be like, okay, if you could wipe out in your life everything that you've done wrong, would you do it? 
And every single one of them that was on that talk show said, no, because I learned something from it. And it made me the person that I am. I don't know how I would be or how I would handle things if I didn't make any mistakes at all. So it's a case of when you're talking, if your kids see that you're being judgy, it's a case of, well, no, what I'm trying to do is to show you that I love you. You're an adult. It's your right. It's your life to make your own decisions. I've been through some difficult ones myself, so that's kind of why I'm talking to you about it. But I'll just do this. Just know that I'm here for you. If you trip, if you fall, if you train wreck with whatever you're going through, I'm here for you. So hopefully you'll lean on me, but I'll be here for you. And I think that's, that's kind of what this focus of this Matthew 7 through 12, it's referred to the golden rule. This is about relationships. That's what we're moving into as far as ask, seek, and knock. It'll tell you, I mean, up above, not to skip over a bunch of stuff, but what it's telling you, the ministry of admonishment is to check your own motives at the very top. It says, are you doing this to help, your, help others? Or is this a self-interest drive? That's what he's telling you there. And subject yourselves to the scrutiny of someone else's admonishment. That's what we were talking about. If somebody else says, well, you say you're a Christian, look at what you're doing. Well, acknowledge that, recognize it, and appreciate their pointing it out and maybe say, you know, thank you. I needed that to be pointed out. Be fair, be scriptural by applying the words properly and be gentle, be firm with yourself, with others too. And it says, be certain your information is correct, not based on gossip. How often do we do that? And a lot of times is, is gossip always correct? No, it's really not. But we put a lot of weight on it. We give it a lot of credibility when it shouldn't get it. So it says, and it also talks about what if, it talks, it gets us into discernment again. What if the other person doesn't accept the teaching or admonishment you provide? I'm sure, have you had people where you're trying to help them and this, that scripturally with a friend? And they, no, uh, I don't, they don't want to hear it. Have you had that happen before? I think several of us have probably had that happen before. What does God say to that? He says, don't take it personally. Or what's the other word? Retaliate. It says, love him or her and pray for the person. We talked about it before. Sometimes you have to let God take over. It says, if you're affected by the other person's behavior, you may have to limit your exposure to their poor judgment. It's a, I know it's a hard situation to be in, and sometimes it's a hard time to decide at what point. You have to kind of distance yourself, but you don't want it to get to a point where they pull you the other way and pull you away from your, your beliefs, your intent. You just, you just have to help lay the groundwork and then let God take over from there. I always think the next verse is six. It's always interesting the way it's, it's worded. Don't, do not give dogs what is sacred. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. That's kind of what I was referencing in a different kind of wording is it'll tell you below that when he talks about dogs, pigs, sacred pearls, there are some people who adamantly refuse to hear or accept this gospel. Adamantly. 
And after that, he says, Jesus cautions you to be discerning about who is receptive and who is rejecting. Those who reject the gospel, they see no value in it. They don't need to hear about it. They don't care. It makes no difference. It has no importance. So that says God will work on their hearts in his own way, perhaps to bring them to a more receptive place. Then they might actually come back to you and say, you know, you mentioned this one time. Tell what was that again? Tell me about that again. And that, that is, that's a gift when they actually, before, I don't know how often it happens, before that they were adamant about not hearing anything about it. But wouldn't that be neat? Wouldn't that be a blessing if they came back to you and said, okay, talk to me about that again. What was that again? So sometimes you just have to back away and let God take over. The Matthew 7, uh, 7 through 12, that's the golden rule. He's talking about relationships. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. It's A says ask, given, asking. The emphasis in this, uh, these imperatives is to keep at it. Does he say just don't just ask once? Don't ask me more than once. He says to keep at it. Seek, find seeking. The reason for keeping at it is that God will provide. Knock, door open, knocking. The challenge is to be persistent and persevere, even when it seems that God is delaying the answer. One of the things I read is it said, well, if you're not, when he says knock, that usually tells you he's going to answer it, doesn't it? I mean, he doesn't say, he says knock and he'll answer. He doesn't say don't knock. It's locked. Go away. Leave me alone. God does not have a no soliciting sign on his door. He wants us to. He wants us to be, when he talks about ask, he he wants you to be confident in your asking and have some humility when you're doing it. When you seek do it with care, do it with application. And when you knock, be perseverant in it. Stay at it. Keep seeking him. Keep asking. Keep knocking. I mean, do you ever feel, well, maybe sometimes we do. Do you ever feel like God is going, would you just leave me alone? I think we feel that because out of the, because we know that God always answers prayer. Always. It's either yes, no, or wait, which is probably the least favorite one we have. But it's a case of he doesn't say, just leave me alone. He doesn't ever say that. He doesn't ever want that. That's why he's very specific. Ask, seek, and knock. He doesn't say, leave me alone. I don't care. You are such a pain. (laughs) He wants us to stay at it. It's also, it's kind of one... It's in, it, he wants a relationship with us. That's why he's telling you, ask, seek, and knock. Don't just leave me alone. God wants that relationship. That's why he wants us to be in scripture. That's why he wants us to study the, the Bible. He wants us to seek him more, know him more, ask him more. Knock on the Bible more so you can get to know him. And it says... Beloved life principle number 42. 
the desire for immediate gratification often gets in the way of prayerful patience. How many of us ever want immediate gratification? I, <laughs> I didn't even ask you to raise your hands and I saw several people go, hmm. Because <laughs> we all do. And it's very, I think the main or the one you kind of almost underline in that statement is immediate. It's not just gratification. It's immediate. We want it right now. I think that's the problem we have with God's answer of wait. I don't want to wait. But have you, have you ever had a time in your life where you, you finally get the answer, whether it was the one you wanted, yes or no, but you finally get it. And look, then looking back at the route, at the path, at the highway, the whole route that kind of got you to that answer. Have you ever looked at that and go, okay, now I got it. I understand now why you had me wait because of all the things that happened before you got that answer. Has ever, anybody ever had that? Just me? <laughs> There's also we, the times when we won't know why things happened the way they did until we get to heaven. That's a big wait, isn't it? That's a big wait. That's a big wait. Did you hear that? Sometimes we don't know why things happen, and we won't until we get to heaven. And I think the word why is the one that trips us up. So that it's really sometimes you go through things, and it takes a long time for God to resolve them. But it was never about the why. And until you let go of why is this happening to me, you weren't getting out of it. That's a good point. In the purpose-driven life, it, it points you to how am I supposed to react to this? What is this supposed? What do I need to learn from this? What is it teaching me more than the why, why, why? That's a good way to look at it is maybe put more focus on the what instead of the why. And just see, you know, what is it that God's trying to show me out of this situation instead of, instead of focusing so much on the why? Because do you, do you think, which word do you feel like you might learn more out of, what or why? I think the what kind of gets you more open to understanding about something than the why. Because a lot of times you feel like the why is obviously something somebody else did instead of the what caused it or what can be done. So what seems to be a little bit more of a better approach sometimes instead of the why all the time. Look below at uh, verse 9. It says, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give gifts to those who ask him? So in everything do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. I mean, it talks about bone, bread and stone, fish and snake. A, law, a father loves his son, and in that love would not consider giving him a stone or a snake or an eel instead of food. That's where it's talking about, you know, be focused on what you're giving and what you're doing. Flip over to the next page. It says, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts. Referencing evil as stingy or lacking in generosity at knowing how to give good gifts. Do to others what you would them do to you. 
The so-called golden, golden rule should be the governing principle in making judgments about each other, in admonishing, in prayer, and in gift giving. So that kind of gives us a little bit of a good phase when he talks about making judgments as far as try to put a good twist to making judgments. Because when we started out the lesson, judging was not fun to talk about. Well, I think you can use judging when we're talking about other people that are going through a difficult time. Use the judging in, okay, I don't know what they're going through. Maybe they need, you know, a, a compliment for me. Or maybe need, use that to be your judgment. Judging in how you should respond to them. Judging in how you should be with them. Judging in how you should share God's, God's love with them and what you should do instead of why we should do it. Use that as your approach. Use that as your judgment gauge and the best way you can approach it. Anybody else have anything they want to add to that? Anyone, anyone? Well, we've actually got five more minutes. <laughs> so what do, you, what do you get out of this study? What, instead of the why, why do you get anything out of this study? What do you get out of this study? What do you think God's point is in forcing us to read this and analyze it? Between the bread and the stone and the snakes and everything that we read about in here, ask, seek, and knock. What do you think the point is? Try examining yourself first. So, yeah. So what, he's pretty much saying, okay, stop looking past the plank. Is that a bad thing for us to look at the plank first? It'd be, sometimes it, it might be pretty interesting to look at it and go, wow, I hadn't really taken time to see that I do that or that I act that way. Would you ever want to ask one of your friends, okay, plank me, <laughs> T tell me, and don't, don't, don't speck me, tell me, tell me, help me see my plank because we each have one, and I want to try to whittle it away, break it into pieces, make it smaller. I know I can't ever get rid of it until we get to heaven, but... One, one key part of that is when you ask somebody to do that, you're, you don't get offended when they point out the plank. <laughs> <laughs> right, you hear that? And don't retaliate. Don't start saying, well, your plank's bigger than my plank. <laughs> you're, you're missing the purpose of it. Because if it's someone that, that cares about you, that loves you, and that you are, they'd be the person that you'd be comfortable asking, don't you think that they, I mean, if that's, if the, that's the relationship, if, if it's a friend, if it's a parent, whatever, don't you think that they would want to say it in a, they'd want to do it in a good way? Yeah, well, but also at the same time, I want them to be brutally honest with me. Like I've had some conversations with some friends and family in, in close circles saying, okay, I know that I have shortcomings. Uh, unfortunately, I can't see them. So I need your help. Don't worry, you're not going to offend me. I'm not going to hate you. I'm not gonna hold it against you. But I need you to, like, as somebody that I value, that I love in my life, I need you to tell me what, what are, not only are the good aspects of me, but also the bad aspects of me, something that I can improve on so that I can become like a better person as a whole. Well, and I think that's the way you have to present it to them. Pretty much the first way you have to say it is just say, I, I want you to be brutally honest. Don't spec me, plank me. Is be brutally honest because I really, I have a hard time recognizing it in myself. 
So obviously I need somebody else to help me recognize it and help me understand it so I can get better at it because I know I have some problems that I need to get better at. And obviously because I respect you, I value your opinion, your input is hugely important to me. I know I need to do something about it. Because if I didn't think I did, I wouldn't ask. So I, that would mean it's a tough, it's a difficult thing. Because if I had a friend go, okay, be brutally honest, would you just go right at them? <laughs> I mean, it'd be hard because it's a friend and you don't want to hurt their feelings. And you kind of have to be the way you're going to respond. I also set up the, the similar expectation when somebody asks me that. Okay. You're like, I will be brutally honest, so you can't get mad at me because you asked for it. Yeah. And even have to say, even when they ask you to be brutally honest, go, okay, wait, let me get my phone because I'm going to record that you just said that. So if I'm brutally honest, I'm going to play this back at you that you said I could. So, but do it in, 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 a, situ in a way that you want to because I, I think that, that is a huge compliment to you as a friend if they say, I, you're, my, you're my valued friend and I know you love me and care about me and I feel like if I ask you, you'll be truthful with me. And it might be a case where you just have to sit down together and go, eh, okay, I'll, I'll answer this and maybe you, maybe you flip-flop. Maybe you do it at the same time. To each other. It's very, it's very, you have to be very cautious about how you point something out. One of the most difficult things I went through was student teaching, where the job of the supervisors was to criticize and to judge the way you do everything, and they were very, they were vicious. Even though, even when it was true, they came across so cruel. Yeah, we don't want to be vicious. That's not going to come. That's not going to be received well. Well, let's go ahead and close in prayer. And thank you for everybody. And we'll get together next week. Our most gracious, heavenly, loving Father, we, as always, appreciate time where we can spend with you. We can spend with each other and just try to absorb what it is that you're trying to help us learn, helping us, you know, get part of us so we can help each other. We can help ourselves and we can help others. And we just ask that you be with us this week and, and give us strength, give us guidance, and just give us the love for you and love for others. And we ask everything in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Messiah's Upper Room Podcast. If you want to join the discussion, please send us an email with your question or comment to Messiah Lutheran Podcast at gmail.com, and we'll be happy to read it during an upcoming class. You can also go to our website at www.messiahlutheranpodcast.com, where you can find links to all the previous episodes and copies of our class notes in case you want to follow along with each episode. You can also find out where to subscribe to the podcast at messiahlutheranpodcast.com slash subscribe. For links on how you can find us on iTunes, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, TuneIn, or any other podcast catcher of your choice. If you feel like we have given you any value during this podcast, please consider going to our podcast page in iTunes and leaving a rating or a review. Not only will that provide us with valuable feedback that we can use to improve the podcast for you, 
but it will help this podcast to climb the iTunes rankings and help us spread God's message to anyone willing to listen. Once again, thank you so much for listening to this episode. And until next time, may God bless you throughout your week. Bye.